This episode of Inside Acting is brought to you in part by Rehearsal 2, the app for actors. Want to learn your lines fast? Be off book for auditions? Explore your characters and make stronger choices? There's an app for that. Rehearsal 2. Download it now at rehearsaltheapp.com slash download. That's rehearsaltheapp.com slash download. Hello and welcome to episode 166 of Inside Acting. I'm Trevor Algott. And I'm AJ Meyer. And on this podcast, we bring you interviews with working actors, writers, filmmakers, agents, managers, producers, casting directors, personal finance and fitness gurus, voiceover artists, and more. All of them serving up insider tips on marketing yourself, creating your own work, and booking the gig. It's knowledge bombs for everyone. It's like a knowledge bomb buffet for everyone. Knowledge and it's bombs coming, for everyone. <laughs> it's coming straight from the people who've been there, done that, and the people who are doing it again. We need a theme song. We need like a knowledge bombs theme song. Knowledge so, bombs I, I can get on that. Yeah. Uh, do it. Do it. You're the musician. And uh, as you can tell, we're just two dudes who started this thing because we're looking for the answers. That's right. And we're, we were sick, of ti- we're sick and tired of being told that we had to pay for it. So we made it free. Ta-da! And put it on the internet. Ta-da! And while all success stories are built on a common foundation, there's no right way. There's no right path. So uh, if you hear something in this episode with which you agree or disagree, we want to hear from you. So send us an email, shoot us a tweet, comment on our website, leave us a voicemail. They all go to the same place, meaning us, and you can find all the different ways that you can get your voice on the show by starting at our website, InsideActingPodcast.com. And a bit later in today's show, we have the first of my three-part interview with the very stunningly beautiful, stunningly wise, and very intoxicating Nori Victoria. Um, she's an actress, and you'll see what I mean by intoxicating. So make sure you guys stick around. Trev, we've got uh, we've got a new a new trilogy here ahead of us, a, right? A brand new trilogy, brand baby. New trilogy. I yeah. love I love that you started using that term because I mean trilogies for the most part. This is not always true, but for the most part, are usually pretty awesome. Like some of my favorite movies are trilogies, like Indi- yeah. Indiana yeah. Jones and the original Star Wars and Godfather. Although we won't talk about Godfather three. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, the redhead stepchild of the of the Godfather mm. trilogy. You, you know, I haven't seen any of the Godfather movies. Okay, we have to stop recording. Actually, I had a moment. We I have thought. to stop recording right now, and you have to go watch them. I mean, uh, oh my gosh! Yeah, that seriously, flipped, man. If that thought flipped through my head before I made that comment, I was like, oh, should I say this? This is going to completely undermine my credibility. Yeah, I haven't and, seen and those my, movies. And my man. new pick of the week. <laughs> yeah, right, dude. <laughs> You're doing a podcast on acting. It's like a masterclass on acting. It's so I know, good. I know. It's so good. 
Hey, dude, you met an astronomer in a coffee shop this week, and I read about it in the dispatch, which hopefully all our email subscribers have now read about as well. But tell us a little <laughs> bit about this this guy, Piet. Piet? Piet? Yeah, Am I saying that name it's, right? It's, yeah, it's basically Pete, but Pete. just spelled like he lives in Holland, which he does. Um, yeah, I didn't know if... I didn't know if we should bring it up on the on the podcast because I did write about it in the dispatch, but it was it was so cool and it was definitely it, that type of experience is so New York. Like the people that we've met in this coffee shop, like the um, who was it? There's this guy. He's an actor. Maybe we'll have him on the show someday. His name is Robert Montano, and. Not only has he done musicals and <clears throat> movies and television and stuff, he's now getting into writing, and he's been writing a lot. Um, he started out his life career, his young life, as a jockey. He was a uh, like was a, a horse jockey, like a horse jockey, like a racer. Cool. And so he just had all these like really incredible experiences, and then we find out that he was roommates at one point with Anthony Cravello. Who's a who's the Tony Award winning actor that was in Heather's with Dude, me? Isn't that funny, man? I, so many of these successful actors and whatnot hang out together and room together. Like I, I just think it's so funny. I hear about these stories again and again and again. That yeah. These successful actors all were hanging out together like yeah. back in the day. I mean, I think we've talked about it before about all boats rising with the tide and just you know law of attraction. Yeah, just all these yeah. people getting together, super talented and. And, yeah. uh, and, yeah. and, and, uh, what is the, what is the rule? Like you are the average of the five people you hang out with the most, something along those lines. So your income is the average, your level of success and your career and your level of ambition and all, all these things, all these aspects of life, you, you are the average of those five people. And when you really put that in your head, it's like you start to look at the people you spend the most time with and you start to really think hard about how that affects your life. Or at least I do. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway, dude. Um, so for listeners who are not subscribed to our email list, which is actually, sadly, most people, we've got several thousand listeners all around the world. We've only got a few hundred email subscribers, but you included this really cool graph that this guy, Pete, uh, basically drew on the back of a napkin for you or mm -hmm. that he asked you to draw. And it was about doing what you love versus not doing versus getting paid versus not getting paid. Can you just talk about that a little bit? Yeah, it, basically it creates this graph with four quadrants. Um, the two columns being do what you love or don't versus don't do what you love. And the two rows being um, getting paid versus not getting paid. Mm -hmm. And um, basically... His, you know, he said, being an astronomer, turn everything into a mathematical formula, um, and he essentially said, you know, I, my, my philosophy is that if you always do what you love, you have the greatest chance of being happy because the only way to avoid the lower right quadrant, which is um, not doing what you love and not getting paid for it, obviously that would make you really unhappy. So he was saying the only way to avoid that lower right quadrant um, is to always do what you love. You, mm. You'll never, you'll never, no matter what happens, you'll never end up in that in that quadrant because you'll always be doing what you love, whether or not you get paid for it. What a simple formula! I know. I it, it was <laughs> it was so. I mean, and, and it's like like I said in the dispatch, it's not something that we have never 
you know, thought about before or talked about, even talked about on the podcast before, but to have somebody break it down into a mathematical formula was, you know, mind blowing. Yeah. It's pretty cool, man. That little graph in that, in that email dispatch is cool. So if you guys, for some reason are not subscribed to the newsletter and you missed that, that graph, um, we'll try and maybe throw it up in the show notes or something and we'll definitely put it in the insider notes for this episode. So if you're a patron, have no fear. It's coming to you in another form. Yeah, the, you, know what, you know what else we could do, Trev? Just since there's something so visual about this particular one, maybe what we could do is take the link from that newsletter and put it in the show notes or something. Oh yeah, like that. good idea. And you know, and we'll just link to the newsletter on our, our Twitter feed as well. So you can, if you're not subscribed, you can still view the kind of web page version of the newsletter. And then also, dude, I just saw you write on our outline here that you did not get cast in a short film that was written for you. Yeah, I... I what is this sadness? I, yeah, it's, it, it was definitely a bummer. I forgot that it happened because I've sort of processed it and moved on. But I realized, when, I realized when it happened, and then again just now, that it's a good... Um, it's definitely something to be discussed on, on the podcast. Um, and, you know, it's not the most inspirational story, but hopefully the way that I've been managing it uh, emotionally it will be inspiring to our listeners. But, yeah, a very good friend of mine wrote this short film uh, for me. Like, the main character was, you know, written with me in mind. And um, he got... Uh, funding for it and I've, I've kind of mentioned it on the podcast before these tiny little updates he recently got funding for it etc and he started the casting process and I don't know if it was uh, him or a combination of him and his producers but um, he got 1200 submissions from my for my for my role he was able to weed them out very quickly using a combination of their their resumes, their slates on actor access, their reels on actors access, or whether or not they had one. Um, and then eventually, basically, I had submitted a while ago a tape of mine. I put myself on tape. For this specific project? For this specific project, yeah. And, um, and is, this, is this the one that like, got backing from like Ice-T or somebody? Or? Yeah. This yep. is the one? Wow. Yeah. Yep. Okay. And so, uh, what was I saying? I, I, oh, so he had basically, the bar was set as far as like what he wanted. So anybody, essentially anybody who wasn't as good as that taped audition that I'd sent in, he just wasn't considered. Um, I ended up basically in like the top five and the guy who they cast was on Entourage for six years. Uh, I don't know his name because he didn't say his he didn't say his name to his credit. Okay. You know, he called me up and, and let me know. But um, I'll I'm gonna eventually find out because they've been posting about it on social media and that kind of thing. So I'll eventually find out. But it was just such a it was such a Hollywood you know business story, and it and it it was pretty upsetting because you know there's there's the aspect of like you know, loyalty versus business. <laughs> That's all there is in, in to the, it. Uh, you mean this experience, not, not in the film, but your, this story of yeah, yeah. not getting the, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like, loyalty know, versus business, man. That's, that's a, that's a common theme. Yeah. So it was, it was pretty heartbreaking, but you know, um, I'm, I'm, I'm a, 
I was blessed with a sunny disposition. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm keeping, you know, I'm continuing moving forward. I had, you know, a moment of, of just allowing myself to be sad and, and mope a little bit, but I knew that it, I was only going to give myself five, 10 minutes to do so. And I did that. And then started turning around and looking at the positives. It's like, okay, for some reason, I'm not supposed to go to LA to shoot this thing. I'm supposed to be in New York. There's probably some kind of, you know, opportunity coming up for me. Um, and in addition to that, uh, he, my friend that wrote it feels so bad about the whole situation that now he's really pushing to get me in on um, uh, CS, uh, what, uh, SVU. Yeah. Oh, he has connections to that. Well, Ice T is on that show. Oh, well, that makes sense. Yeah, so, right on. Yeah. Well, I'm uh, I'm inspired by your sunny disposition. I know that can be feel like a hard blow, especially when it's like, I mean, it was written for you. They yeah. they wrote that part with you in their head, and yep. uh, ended up going with somebody that was probably just going to get more butts and seats. Yep. But uh, I I can so appreciate where you're coming from. With yeah, it sucks, but. You know, that just means that something better is in store. Yeah. That's kind of how you have to be in this, in this industry. Mm-hmm. You have yeah. to be that or you're just going to become a jaded 40 year old waiter. <laughs> a little thick, <laughs> a little thick, a little thick skinned, you know? Yeah. yeah. And also because it was written for me and because I would, there were a lot of conversations, constant conversations going on with him about the process and everything. For me, it felt as though I was. I was part of creating my own work, like we talk about a lot on the podcast. And mm. so now that that has gone away, now it's like, okay, I need to do something to be in the driver's seat of a project. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, which I you know you have to, something to talk about, right? Is that what your short film note is about? Um, that, that, it's not, actually. Um, I mean, I've been, I have been writing, and that's the whole reason I'm teaching myself to write, uh, is because I, I just I want to be in the driver's seat. You know, like Mark Gant says, he's just a guy who waits, hate, uh, hates waiting around for shit to happen, and yeah. that's kind of my approach, too. And I've yeah. also realized that I'm just not going to be nearly as satisfied with my career track as I could be were I just kind of waiting to be cast in something. Right. I just, I like to have my hands in many things. Well, we've got several, as we've talked about the last couple episodes, we've got several listener things to get to, voicemails, emails, etc. And I don't know, in the seven or eight minutes we've got left here, we probably only have time for one. So I think this voicemail has probably been backed up long, long enough. What do you think, Trev? I think so, man. Yeah, let's, uh, let's hear from Jesse from Louisiana. I guess a question I could ask uh, for me... I guess specifically would be uh, as an actor. I've been acting around two years, I want to say, roughly two years, doing auditions and such. Uh, but for me, I've had uh, pretty bad acne problems uh, at this point. I wear a lot of makeup. Uh, even when I go to auditions, I wear a lot of makeup. Uh, so I guess my question would be, what would be your advice to people that maybe don't have the look, the right, or they think they don't have the right look, or 
maybe they think uh, some type of personal attributes that will affect their acting career in general, or do you think there is a place for that in the film industry? Wow. Okay. Uh, awesome. Well, thanks for calling in, Jesse. Uh, especially with a topic uh, that could be kind of, you know, I mean, you opened yourself up there. Like you, you made yourself a little vulnerable, and I really, really appreciate that. And I think that is a common trait among the greatest artists in the yeah. world: is that they they open themselves up to the kind of common, kind of difficult experiences, and they share that stuff. So, thanks, props to you for for calling in with, um, with with that. The, the, the question seems like it's kind of two, like there's kind of two angles to it. One of them is, uh, is there like one of them is, it sounds like it's like a, a confidence issue almost about trying to fit, uh, or trying to look kind of a certain way, which, which is interesting. It's kind of an image kind of thing. And then number two is, is there a place in the industry for people that maybe don't fit, uh, that is, is that would you say that's accurate, AJ? Yeah, yeah. Although they, although they, you know, it, it does seem like there's two angles, but I, I feel like they're so close that it's almost like they're they're combined. And I think yeah. maybe, and I think the response, our response, in order to be responsible about a response, I think we have to, I think we get to like combine the answer, basically. Um, yeah, you know, I for, first of all to address what you were saying, Trevor, about the the industry side, um, meaning you know what he said about people not having the right look. I, I I would say, and I think Trevor, you'd agree with me. Stop me if you don't, <clears throat> but I would say there's no such thing because there there there's no such thing at. I, Although the industry, especially in film and television, is based on what people look like, it's very image conscious, uh, which you also said, Trevor, there's no such thing as somebody having a right look. There's only such a thing as somebody having a right look for a particular role. Right. And there's so yeah. many different roles out there that require so many different looks that there's no such thing as a quote unquote right look, period meaning uh, sort of a general wash, like like everyone that's on television is a, you know, five foot nine white guy with, you know, blonde hair or something. That's, that's, right. that doesn't, that's not true. Yeah. So there's no such thing as a, as a quote unquote right look. Um, so then beyond that, it becomes, you know, what Trevor was saying about the, the confidence and image issue so, um, what do you? Th what are your thoughts on on that side of it, Treb? Uh, I'm a firm believer that if you walk into a room, owning every flaw and imperfection, you know, I'm putting air quotes up here, flaw and imperfection, and you know, thing that might not be acceptable to you know the greater culture or whatever it is. If you walk into a room, head held high, shoulders back, chest out, and you own it, no matter what you look like people will sit up and notice and pay attention and be impressed and say, I want to work with that guy. I will find a role for that guy. Wow. That guy is going to transform my set. He's going to transform my project. It's going to transform, um, you know, it could transform my career because I don't, he's going places. I want to be riding on his coattails or her coattails. So I think, um, yeah, I mean, there is an idea that we have to kind of be pretty. We have to be attractive in order to work in this industry. But if you if you watch commercials, if you look at, you know, uh, where some of the most kind of 
successful working actors. And I'm not talking about like the superstars or the A-listers. I'm talking about like working actors, the people that are out there every day, the people who have 200 credits in their IMDb resumes. They are, they are the people that look, walk, talk, and act like anybody you'd ever see on the street. And they are making just uh, as they're having just as much success and enjoying the journey just as much as the Tom Cruises of the world and the uh, Will Smiths of the world and the Jada Pinkett Smiths and and all that because because they're they own who they are. So I know I just went on a little bit of a tangent there, but I really feel very strongly about that. That's not a tangent at all, man. That's super empowering. I mean that that inspires me. That to to be that empowered to know that you know whatever insecurities I have about how I look or how, or my talent or whatever to walk into a room and own the room and say, and, and say to myself and then project that out that I, this is me. This is who I am. I am here. That is so empowering. Uh, I, I think it's a beautiful sentiment. I think it's a perfect way to address, uh, Jesse's question. I really do. Uh, and Jesse, if you feel like you haven't gotten an answer or the answer that you were looking for, you know, feel free to reach back out, um, send us an email or leave us a voicemail again um, so we can, you know, continue to have a dialogue about it. But that yeah. was just really empowering, Trev, really. Well, thanks. And the last thing I want to add is that uh, it's just it's not a match until it is. So you may walk into a room and you may be that person and everybody will look up and say, Wow. Who is this person? I want to I want to be affiliated with them somehow, but she may not get the part, and that's just because it's just not a match until it is. Mm. Um, but but going through life with that kind of energy that uh, you know I wouldn't bet against me because big things are in store for me. That kind of energy uh, is it's huge. And um, Jesse, like it sounds like you have a monster opportunity here to really embrace that. Uh, as we all do, but especially combined with your kind of vulnerability, Jesse. I mean, I, I'm uh, I'm excited for you, man. I'm really excited. So keep us posted on your success. Awesome, awesome. Well, as I said before, we only really had time for Jesse's question today. We've got the rest of yours lined up. We promise. And in the meantime, we've got to roll into Trevor's interview, or the first part of Trevor's interview with. Nori Victoria, the intoxicating, <laughs> the intoxicating, the intoxicating Nori yeah. Victoria, and you have a couple of notes here you want to mention, right? There's uh, some background noise and stuff at this interview. Oh yeah, yeah. In this first part, there's a lot of background noise. There's like a trash truck that is basically across the street, but it sounds like it's in the apartment. And <laughs> uh, and we have two cats here that that live with us, and they're really freaking noisy, and they're just kind of complaining in this first part. So you'll hear a lot of background noise. That's all. Just just FYI. Cool. Right on. So here is the first part of Trev's interview with Nori and uh, enjoy. We'll catch you on the other side.
Hey everybody, this is Trev, and I am super stoked to be sitting across from the beautiful and talented Nori Victoria. Nori, thank you so much for being here with us today. Thanks for having me. You are an actress, you've got a credit as a producer on a, on a feature film, and you're IMDb credit. Uh, yeah. You're from the East Coast, yeah. represent. Uh, so <laughs> it's really great to have you here, and I'm excited to hear about your story. So tell us a little bit about where you got started, because Baltimore, which is where you're from, is not known right. not known for kind of birthing a lot of a lot of actors. So where, when, when, what brought you here? Oh, well, I, honestly, I never thought I'd be here doing this particular thing. I started out writing ever since I could hold a pencil. That was, speaking of Baltimore, what I would write and things that were in my imagination were far more interesting <laughs> than what was right going around me sometimes, and it was my escape. So I uh, went through school, and of course... I was in an environment where everyone encouraged you to do something practical, do something that that made sense, that will get you far in your career. So I majored in biology (laughs) and writing, and I I went on to um, to get a master's in information technology. But in that process, I felt like my creativity just was, you know, it, it. it kind of, uh, it never died, but I felt like it was just dying to come out in, in some sort of way. So, um, long story short, I was working as a financial analyst for Black & Decker and was absolutely miserable. No shade to Black & Decker, but, you know, I just, I couldn't take it. I would find myself writing, sitting in front of a computer, supposed to be programming and just writing poetry and things like that. So, I left. <laughs> I left Black and Decker um, and kind of explored some other things that that gradually got me into an environment of being a little more creative. I started working for uh, a cosmetic dermatologist, and he had a lot of parties, and I started planning those and his symposiums and things like that. So gradually, I felt the pull more and more towards, I need to do me, you know, what makes me happy. Um Believe it or not, I, I was actually shy on stage. I remember doing a play in the eighth grade. I had three lines. I went out on stage and I just stared at the audience. And I didn't say a word. So, you know, feeling brave one day, I answered a casting call email that I normally would have deleted for an independent film in Baltimore and I went and I auditioned and I was so nervous but the character called for the girl to be nervous so I booked it I booked the the role but um coming from an academia background I'm I'm very adamant about if you're going to do something you have to respect it and you have to treat it like anything else and acting is no different you can't show up to the doors of an accounting firm and say, hey, I want to be an accountant. No different in this field. So I took a step back to study. And I started taking classes in Baltimore. Um, at that time, I just felt like I wanted to be a gypsy. I went to Atlanta uh, in New York at times for casting calls. I, I was bitten <laughs> by yeah. the bug at that point. So it, was, it wasn't writing, but it was still, it was a creative outlet. I was like thinking, wow, I could do this. And so um, I, I gained my confidence kind of in a reverse engineering type of way, working on that independent film first. And it was with the cast of The Wire, ironically. No way. Yeah. 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 It yeah. Was, that was pretty Great cool. Great show. Yeah. And yeah. Um, 
So I went to Atlanta one day for a casting call, and I never got back on the plane. I just, you just stayed in Atlanta? Yeah, I stayed in Atlanta. I, uh, I started taking classes there. I was crashing on a friend's couch for a few months, and, um, and I, just, I just started growing roots in that city. It was, it was pretty cool. So it was interesting. Growing up in Baltimore, um, they, they, did, they, they did some changes in Baltimore um, at, at some point. They tore down a lot of housing projects that were in Baltimore, and it, it, it kind of displaced um, people. So I found myself, it was, it was weird. I was in a lower middle class neighborhood, but overnight, it seemed like it changed. It became really, really violent. Um, hmm. So I creatively learned how to suppress a lot of feelings in that environment. You kind of have to toughen up, you know? Yeah. And um, you toughen up and you, you either fight or flight <laughs> in, in that environment. So I found that creatively, I found a clever way of really disguising how I felt. The reason why I bring that up is because I went to a particular acting coach in Atlanta who told me that you are emotionally blocked. Like, you are incredibly, you, you have the raw talent, but there's so much inside of you. And I was like, what do you mean? She said, I can tell you're acting, you're not feeling. I was like, well, at that um, time, I was thinking, well, why do I need to really feel? And right. that was, that was, um, that was an, a transformation for me, working with her. Uh, she got me to feel things that made me cry and made me angry and made me and and it's it's wild because as an actor you're taught to react in the exact opposite way that we're taught to deal with things in real life in real yeah. life it's don't sweat the small stuff let everything roll off your back <laughs> don't let it affect you just head down keep going forward in acting you have to stop and let everything affect you feel mm. everything um and deeply yeah. And that was scary yeah. for me. That was so scary because you you come from an environment where if you do that, you'll go insane. If you let every comment bother you, if you let every person who doesn't like you bother you, or every person who means you harm, and and that is um, that was pretty interesting. So I stuck with her for a while, and she convinced me to go to this acting competition in Florida. I, I want to stop you for just one second okay. because I, I, this is so fascinating. I have to just recap for a second for myself. <laughs> you you started studying biology, yeah, technology, and working as a financial analyst for Black and Decker, uh, yeah. And you found yourself writing as sort of to kind of vent your creativity. Mm-hmm. And then at one point, you were just like, I can't take it anymore. So you quit though. You quit all that stuff. You yeah. left it all behind, and you went to work for a cosmetics. Cosmetic dermatologist. Cosmetic dermatologist. And that that, that kind of... It was like a medical party place. (laughs) It was so weird. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. So, and that that kind of of had enough creativity, but with enough sort of business structure to sort of kind of spur you on. And then living in Baltimore in this neighborhood that got kind of rough at one point. Very rough. You learned to suppress your emotions. And then just out of the blue, you thought, hey, maybe, maybe maybe I'm an actor. Mm-hmm. And then you you started studying, and then you went to Atlanta, stayed there, and then and then through this work, you started to unblock some of the sort of kind of um, um, I don't know, I don't want to say scar tissue, but some of like the sort of thick skin it you had developed like in scar tissue. Baltimore. It, it really is because scars um, it just are evidence that you've survived something tough. 
mm-hmm. and in that process you overcompensate and overprotect yourself so that's what was going on big time and wow. I didn't even realize it how how you know to me and I'm I'm kind of a woo woo spiritual kind of guy mm-hmm. sometimes so to, so to me it sounds very much like the universe was just kind of like come, wrong track come over come, here come, come let back. me just sort of massage this out of you and absolutely it wow. was it, I I say I always say that acting burst my soul wide open it's amazing how we can go through life and live a version of ourselves and we think it's fine and it's fine it's fine for a lot of people for most people it's fine but there can be something that forces you to explore a layer that you never knew existed and that blows your whole world up it makes you analyze your relationships and your financial decisions and your career decisions and where to live and it completely disrupts your whole entire world and that's a good thing you know sometimes uh, like natural disasters happen and then out of that becomes a beautiful landscape after yeah. it all comes together you know it, it's kind of like that so God, that is crazy. I, I I didn't mean to cut you off there. But no, I had to, no, I had to just kind of okay. digest it for myself because it's such an unconventional path. Most people just kind of, they yeah. know it from the beginning. And it sound, it's so interesting that you found a lot of success in this career path. Just sort of thinking, hey, I think I'll give this a shot. Yeah, and... Um, and coming from a completely different background. I mean, completely different. I mean, different. financial analyst and biology and technician. Like, what? Yeah. Awesome. I, <laughs> awesome. I, I, I would have I've never thought. So, um, but again... I decided to respect it. It, mm. it. It's not this business. No business is a show up and love me business. If you really have that, and that that's like one in a million <laughs> where those sure. things happen. Um, but if you come into this thinking, oh my gosh, I love this. I'm just going to do it because I want to do it and not put in the work behind it. It yeah. it will be a very different path um, yeah. for most people. So I, my work ethic, I think, um, is one of the things that I really, really cherish because I feel that that is something, there's so many things you can't control in this business. That is the one thing I can absolutely control without a doubt. Your work ethic. Yeah. Yeah. And how much time I put in and, and the things that I decide to explore um, through this journey, I've learned that acting is vocal, physical, and emotional. And I explore all three every day. Whereas, you know, we we as humans, we live a very two-dimensional life. We just keep looking forward and marching forward, and we don't explore what's underneath us and above us and, and behind us. And we leave the past in the past, and we leave it alone, and we just forward, you know, very two-dimensional. Yeah. And I believe that this journey has made my life three and four-dimensional in ways mm. that uh, three-dimensional and exploring things that were already there that I was just ignoring and and in probably denial about and four-dimensional in the spiritual sense I believe where it's just um opened up uh, a world that doesn't even exist into this world in this mm. world if that makes any sense yeah, that's, that's powerful I'm getting that's beautiful. Uh, ethereal here but no it's great um so that's great that's half of the journey. <laughs> <laughs> you know, before before we go on, I have to ask because because this is just something that comes up for me a lot. How supportive were your parents of you making this dramatic shift from from one side of the spectrum to the other? So, my dad called me for two years after I was in Atlanta, asking every day, "When are you coming home?" <laughs> he just um, was a little bit thrown 
more so because my dad is very protective. Not so much that oh, you ha- you went to school, you know, you're supposed to be doing it. He's absolutely not that dad. He's a rebel in his own um, sense, but very protective and wanted to know why I was moving so far away and why I wasn't coming back and. His thing was, if anything happens, I can't get to you fast enough. I just, my dad's my hero. So <laughs> that was that. And my mom, she um, she always said, where did you come from? You, you're you so much braver and so much stronger. I want to be like you when I grow up. And she says that. And that just, I'm very, very thankful for her. She just watches almost in awe. And it's, it's pretty cool, you know, to have yeah. your parent uh, do that. So I say he called for two years. Then at the two-year mark, I got a picture of him. Um, he was dressed uh, really cool in his a white suit, and on the back it said, Good luck, shorty. So I knew that that's when he knew she's off doing she's her thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that yeah. meant a lot to me, too. So those were uh, turning points in this. So um, are you ready for the second I'm, half? I'm ready. Lay it on me. So you were in, you were in Atlanta and you were working with this acting coach and yeah. the second half of this journey started unfolding. So she convinced me. I, first of all, I made tremendous sacrifices. I'm skipping over a lot of the minutia because... A lot of people don't understand. They they see you on TV, maybe on a commercial or uh, on a guest star or whatever, you know. But they don't realize how much sacrifice has been made, probably years before then, and how mm-hmm. much even of of a financial hole you may be in or whatever. They just think, oh my God, you've made it. it there's so much <laughs> before that that goes in. Um, you know, I'm I'm just gonna keep it real. Things are things are moving and progressing in a way that I could have never imagined. I feel really, really fortunate. But there was a time where I I sold my car for rent money one month and went without wow. a car and just, you know, on bus stops, freezing, going to auditions and just... In, in, um, in Atlanta? Yeah. Mm. Um, you know, there are times where you have to think, oh, uh, am I going to pay for acting class or am I going to, like, cut back on food? You know, there's just a lot of sacrifices. Your relationships, people don't understand it. People uh, may not get what is pulling you in that direction because it's not something you can see. It's, It's inside of you. And when you feel a pull towards anything creative or anything spiritual or anything that that isn't, seen in front of you you know material that you can you can touch a degree you can see someone going to a job every day you can see someone um living in a place where they're paying their mortgage and um and and speaking of which when I was at Black and Decker I I started doing investment real estate which was very successful and I wa- I let everything go. I had uh, twelve properties at one time. I Damn. I was just you know doing a lot. Hustling, and, what's up? Yeah, yeah, you know it's Baltimore. <laughs> you but you were to, also um, you were in your twenties, your early twenties at that point, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So that's 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 nothing to scoff at. Yeah, and I um I graduated in the eleventh grade, so I got started early. I I did that because that's another story. Gosh, it's <laughs> we got I feel time. like a pirate. I have more <laughs> stories than a pirate. <laughs> so. Um, Sailed the seven seas. So, when my neighborhood changed, I, I always loved school. I always loved learning. I'm, I just feel like I'm a sponge for things that, um, 
things around me that are different that I haven't experienced yet. So I loved school, but my experience in school wasn't so pleasant after a while. It was just really tough because I feel like, um, you know, I'm, I'm the type of person where I, I can't see myself disliking a human being that I don't know. You know what I mean? I don't, um, I don't know, my spirit isn't rooted in let me see how I can make someone's day tough. You know, and you get a lot of that, unfortunately, in in big cities where you have to just, you know, kind of survive. So um, I went to my guidance counselor in 11th grade and I said, you know what, my grades are great. I've done everything that the Baltimore public schools uh, curriculum requires. I want to go to college now. And she was just like, what? You can't just leave. And I said, well... I think I can Watch if I'm me. almost done. So I needed one credit of English and like a half credit of health or something. I said, okay, I'll go to summer school and or night school. And that's what I ended up doing. She said, um, okay, well, you have to get permission from the school board. And I didn't tell my parents I was doing this. I went to the school board and petitioned um, myself. I went to the meeting. It was me and seven people up on this um Platform and I made my case for leaving school early, and they went away and convened for a little while and came back and said, okay, you can graduate at the end of this year. I was in the 11th grade. You can go on to school, provided you get accepted into an in-state college, but we're not going to give you your high school diploma until after you successfully complete your freshman year, so you can't just go off and drop out. You know what I mean? That was their thing. And... um, I had to pass English, of course, my first year, and I did because I love writing. So I was with this acting coach in Atlanta, and she came to me and she said, there's an acting convention slash slash competition called AMTC in Florida every year. And she told me that um, the expenses involved, you have to get there and you have to pay your own uh, travel and put yourself up and food and everything, and it's a week-long convention. It was very expensive. And I just said, I can't do that. I, it's such a, and there's 1,500 people that go, like, what's I? What's the point? <laughs> so she once again said, just like I told you, you were emotionally blocked and you did not believe me. You have to trust when I'm telling you that these are the things that I see for you and that you need to do. And I went. Um, I sacrificed a lot and I went and I ended up winning best actress in my category out of 1500 people it was so wild so from that I got a partial scholarship to go study at the New York Conservatory for Dramatic Arts and it it was like one thing after another I was like oh it was partial another expense but the things that were happening were all signs to me that Nora you can't stop you have to keep going whatever you know all these things are happening for a reason so you can't stop at Atlanta, you have to go to Florida. You can't stop at Florida, you have to go to New York. So I made it happen, um, skipping over a lot. Uh, but I do have a, a, a funny story. Uh, I paid the tuition, but I couldn't afford the room and board at the New York Conservatory at that time. So I had um, maybe $800 to my name. I rented a U-Haul, packed my stuff in, I subleased my apartment in Atlanta, and I just started driving north. I knew I was going to stop in Baltimore. Um, By that time, I felt I was so brave 
at that point I had kind of you know worked to this point where I felt it was scary but I felt almost invincible at the same time because I made it to that point and nothing uh, I was still alive I had all my limbs you know I still <laughs> I wasn't working. dying of malnutrition yeah, or something's working. so yeah so um I knew I would stop in Baltimore and I just felt like the universe would not see me homeless or on the street in New York with all these opportunities because I, I felt there was a reason why I was drawn into this business for a greater purpose and it's not myself. It's it's definitely something else. So uh, I put my profile up on this website called MyNewRoommate.com and I'm almost to New York after I stop in Baltimore and I get a phone call and this lady, um, she sounds like Rosie Perez. She said, hi, Nori, I saw your profile of MyNewRoommate.com. I have a room in Brooklyn for $800. You can have it. Like, And so that's what I had. <laughs> and for I, 800 bucks and Yes, for the summer. And wow. I, I paid her. Um, I moved in. You know, those websites, you never know if people are setting you up or yeah, whatever. You know. yeah, but she careful. was really nice. This is this Buddhist lady in Brooklyn who had an apartment by the museum and a million cats. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I pulled up. It was about midnight. She helped me move my stuff in. And it was amazing because I gave her all the money I had. But when I would leave every day for school, she just really believed in what I was doing. I would look in my book bag and there were granola bars and snacks and oh, everything she, oh, so, wow. and when I came home I was um, I would leave at 6 six in the morning every day and I wouldn't get back until about 9 it was a really intense wow. program um, and then there were there were uh, assignments so then another 3 or 4 hours of work or rehearsal so I was exhausted but I would come back and there would be dinner in the microwave waiting you know every day it just Damn, it you felt the jackpot, like roommate jackpot there it, well you know what I feel like I, I've always felt like because this craft has given so much to me personally, emotionally, like I said, it burst my soul wide open. It, it gave me a dimension of myself that I never would have had, and I really appreciate that. Because of that, I feel like I'm in this business not to be a star, not to be famous, not to make a lot of money. If those things happen, fine, great. But I really honestly feel like I'm in this business to help be the ambassador for other people's emotions help people feel things that they otherwise would not be able to feel because I know what that's like. I feel like drama is a healing art. Um, And no matter where you are in your life, drama can reach you where you are. It, It was so funny. I was on a panel one time and someone said, well, what about roles that are kind of sketchy and evil in me? And I was like, you take those, you know, because there are people like that in real life that you have to speak to they want to see themselves for a reason you know people need to see themselves and they need to be able to see emotions that they want to feel you know and um also i i just i'm i've always been hyper aware of the human experience and i feel like there are people that are put in certain positions that are given certain fortunes because it's meant for them to reach back and bring other people along out of their circumstances and i really believe that's why i'm in this business um that's really beautiful thank you yeah thank you and so i went to new york and i did the program and i came back to atlanta and just started working it like just started happening yeah it just started happening um I worked on, I booked a film, Quarantine 2. 
I started working on the productions in Atlanta, the television television productions, the game, um, Vampire Diaries. Yeah, um, you get a nice long list of uh, co-stars and stuff. Yeah, yeah. and then uh, there was a team... Why they came to Atlanta, I don't know, but I'm so glad they did. Uh, a production company out of the UK on behalf of National Geographic, they did their casting in Atlanta for Locked Up Abroad. I don't know if you've ever heard of yeah, that show. Yeah, yeah but so um, I landed that gig and we ended up filming in the Philippines for a month. It was the most challenging and well, I take that back. I was going to say the most um, physically and emotionally challenging shoot I've ever done, but I had a shoot this year where we were in negative 20 degree wind chill every day, so that might have been the most challenging. Right. But it was 117 degrees. We were shooting in real prisons. It was really, wow. um, really impoverished areas, and there's a reason why I also believe I had that human experience, too. It just makes you hyper aware of uh, what's going on outside of our air-conditioned, <laughs> yeah, right. um, right. posh little existence. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the bookends. I am trying to do every accent imaginable yeah. in just a couple <laughs> like of you sentences. Went, you flawlessly went through three different dialects there. <laughs> It's great. Eddie Izzard has a, a bit on that where he's like, uh, I have a voice modulator, but unfortunately it's stuck on shop demonstration at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I uh, hope you guys loved Nori, part one of Nori's chat. Uh, I hope you can see why I used the word intoxicating, the words I should say, intoxicating, lovely, and wise, because she is all of the above. And I cannot wait to bring you guys parts two and three of the chat because it just gets better and better. And talk about somebody who is just tuned in spiritually to this journey and just coming from a place of gratitude and abundance. Uh, what's your pick of the week, man? My POT dubs. I have a meeting this weekend, actually, which is really strange. They're actually uh, uh, auditioning people on Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. Uh, my auditions on, or my meeting is on Sunday for the first national tour of Beautiful, which is the Carol King musical that has been extremely successful and won uh, some Tonys this year and stuff. And I, I, it's yeah. So it's the first national tour, and I haven't seen it. And I, I grew up listening to Carol King's music, but I wanted to see the the musical so I could see the part that I was actually auditioning for. And so I went and saw it and it was great. Like it was amazing. If it wasn't for Jersey boys, it'd probably be the best jukebox musical out there, but it's not as good as Jersey boys. So anyway, it's, but it's fantastic and uh, I really enjoyed it. So I was trying to figure out how to sort of bring her music to people without them having to be in New York. And since I grew up with her music, because my mom is such a huge fan I just I was just like you know what I'll just make her most famous, uh, most awarded album my my pick of the week. So her, her the thing that sort of broke Carol King out as a solo artist as a singer songwriter was her album Tapestry, which won four Grammys and they were all the big ones. It was like best it was like album of the year, best female pop vocal. Uh, record of the year and the other one I'm, I'm forgetting, but it just it just destroyed at that year's Grammys, and that's what sort of led her to, you know, her big performance at Carnegie Hall that 
that sort of launched her as a as a solo artist because before that and this is what the musical sort of covers she was just just not I, I hesitate to use that word but I don't know what else what other word to use but she was a she was a writer with her then husband and they wrote so many hits it's crazy they wrote like locomotion they wrote you know all these all these hits for like the 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 drifters and i mean the 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 list of songs that she wrote that they wrote is is kind of unbelievable it's all these songs that you know if if you like if you enjoy listening to oldies and 60s and 70s rock <clears throat> and you're just like oh yeah i know that song well she probably wrote it <laughs> um <laughs> right so anyway tapestry which is uh, an album by carol king that's really cool man I, when i hear about people that just crank out hit after hit after hit like that i always wonder about their artistic process you know they they clearly don't suffer from writer's block they just are cranking out quality music over and over and over quality work and I just would love to hear what a day in her life is like, what kind of rituals she has and how she captures ideas and develops them. God, really if we could get Carol King on the podcast, I think I might poop myself. Get on it. Get on it. <laughs> <laughs> she lives cool, in LA, man. bro, so you get on <laughs> Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> All right. Oh, you mean I have to do work? What's your, <laughs> what's your pick of the week? Anybody who's a longtime listener knows that I'm, you know, I was raised uh, in athletics and I've, I've carried that kind of love and addiction to feeling great in my body and, and exercising and eating well into my adult life. And, uh, you know, guys know I'm a P90X fanboy and I've been doing P90X too and I'm in the final phase, the third phase of it. And there's this, this kind of scientifically based kind of exercise stuff that we're doing now uh, in this phase called post-activation potentiation. And it's intense stuff and there's, there's strength, there's agility, there's flexibility, there's um, stability stuff. I mean, it's, 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 it's the whole enchilada packed into uh, an hour workout and we do it four times a week in this phase. And it's just... Man, if you want to stay young, if you want to be injury-free, if you want to enjoy living in your body and being able to run, jump, and climb well into your later years, I mean, I'm not old, but I, I, I can tell that if I were to do this <clears throat> consistently, that I'm going to be able to be water skiing and, and you know rock climbing and things well into my 70s, 80s, even 90s. So uh, I'm just going to put it out there. P90X2 is my pick of the week. It is a fantastic program. The price, which I think is like 120 bucks for the base package, is is like a steal for the uh, the amount of goodness you'll be doing for your body. And it's all from home. It requires a bit more gear than the original P90X. You need a foam roller and a stability ball and medicine balls and things like that. But you get an, an elite level gym in your living room. And I cannot recommend this stuff enough. It is the best stuff out there. And I'm not saying that because uh, I'm a Beachbody coach, which I am, but I'm saying it because it's, it really is the best stuff out there. So that's it for that. Tell, tell, tell our listeners at home, Trevor, how many workouts you've done this year alone. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, I have a goal to do 300 workouts this year. And uh, every day I just get one step closer. So this morning was my 263rd workout of the year. Unbelievable. I love that. Yeah. I love yeah. that. So awesome. Get in shape. We also have a <laughs> listener pick from longtime listener and patron and 
one of my new New York friends because he's awesome and his wife is awesome and I've enjoyed hanging out with them and Michael Pauly. But this is Matt Bailey. Matt Bailey bringing us our listener pick of the week this week, uh, which is called My Big Break. It's a film. It's at mybigbreakmovie.com. We'll have that link on our website. And he literally sent us this pick in the middle of watching. He hadn't even finished watching it, and he started emailing us. Um, Said he can't remember if we had talked about it on the podcast before. I don't think we have, but it's raw and awesome. It was filmed from uh, about 1998 to about 2008-ish. So it's a little dated with equipment and whatnot, but it's so real and raw in some points. It is a must-see. It's wild that so many of the five, five roommates actually made it so big in L.A. while it was being shot. On Wikipedia, it says, My Big Break is a 2009 documentary from film director uh, Tony Ziera, starring Wes Bentley, Tony Ziera, Brad Rowe, Chad Lindbergh, and Greg Fawcett. Filmed over 10 years, this controversial documentary follows five roommates trying to make it in Hollywood who face the unexpected consequences of fame. That's pretty cool. We've had people joke about turning this podcast, well, not turning this podcast, but having like a sort of ancillary arm of the podcast be a sort of reality TV show. In other words, we film ourselves in the quote-unquote daily grind of, of, of acting and it sounds like someone somebody's already be, done that. someone's already done it like if they beat <laughs> us to it so um yeah, it looks yeah. cool i'm excited to check it out and thanks matt for that so we've got p90x2 tapestry the carol king album and my big break which is this documentary awesome. film for our picks of the week lots of good stuff to check out this week cool so thank yous we have two brand new patrons right are they, yes, we are, do. they are they going to share the patron of the week honors? I think so, man, because well we we know one of them and she's been a long time listener and she just so happens to live with you. Uh, so that's Jasmine Bristow Ooh. and then uh, we also have uh, a long time listener Courtney Reyes or maybe Reyes. I'm not quite sure. I'm just I'm just awful with pronunciations, but Courtney and Jasmine, thank you guys. Send us your info so we can share it with the world. Who is this Jasmine person? Uh, I, I I thought I thought I thought you knew her, but maybe I got the name right. Maybe, no. Is it Jill, maybe, or <laughs> I don't know, Jessica, maybe something. Start to she, she was so cute about it. She was like, "Should I be a patron?" <laughs> I, I was like, uh, I'm "Sure, why not? Do it. Why not? You love the show, right? <laughs> be part of the family officially." Woohoo! Cool. Well, that's it for uh, episode 166. Inside Acting is produced and co-hosted by me, Trevor Algott, and you, A.J. Meyer. Me! Jen Levin is our production coordinator. Cesar Gamino is our technical producer. Gadali Gubarek is our marketing and web director. And Deborah Smith is our community manager. You can sign up for our free weekly email dispatch and listen to all of our recent episodes at our website, InsideActingPodcast.com. You can also find us on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, and pretty much wherever you choose to download your podcasts. And this episode of Inside Acting was made possible in part by VO2GoGo.com, the award-winning voiceover training system and winner of Backstage's Reader's Choice Award for Best VO Training four years in a row. You can visit VO2GoGo.com slash start for a free getting started guide and voiceover online classes that'll help you add voiceover to your acting portfolio. That's VO, the number two, gogo.com slash start. 
And of course, this episode was also made possible by listeners like you. If you love Inside Acting and you want to help keep the show going, sign up as a monthly patron and get cool perks like access to an exclusive online patron-only mastermind group that's coming very soon. You'll get a shout out on the show, on the show website, and in the show newsletter. You'll get freebies and discounts on merchandise and other upcoming podcast offerings, as well as the insider notes every week with every episode and more. Just visit InsideActingPodcast.com and click on the Patron tab. And that's it for episode 166 of Inside Acting. Thanks for listening, everybody. I'm Trevor Algott. And I'm AJ Meyer. Oh, it's me. It's me this time. That's uh, right. Oh, shit. I didn't think of anything. All right. We'll see you next week. And in the meantime, do P90X2? Yeah.